As Daniel already mentioned, during Advent, we're looking at some of the songs of Christmas to help point us to the Christ of Christmas. And if you think about it, Christmas carols really are one of the last remaining vestiges in our society of the deeply Christian nature of Christmas, which has become, you know, largely more and more a secular holiday, and so its meaning is more and more lost to us as a culture. But if I had to pick a Christmas song that I would want someone to hear as they're walking through Target or through Lowe's Christmas shopping, and for them to actually have to stop and think about what it means, it would be Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, When we decided to go with this kind of theme of the songs of Christmas during Advent, I immediately called dibs on this one because it's my absolute favorite. Uh, but I didn't always like it, uh, you know, especially growing up in church, you kind of hear it get started and it's like, okay, here we go again. You know, um, parts of it are archaic and confusing, like who is Harold and what is he harking about? You know, I have a great uncle named Harold and he's not an angel. So, um, or just, you know, the familiarity of the song, we hear it over and over. And so the meaning can be lost to us. But if you slow it down, I love the way that the team did it this morning and really pay attention to it, which is what the word hark means, by the way. It means listen, pay attention. And oh, oh my, it's, it's wonderful and it's moving. Uh, in just a few short stanzas, Charles Wesley, the author, he addresses all the main questions that someone might have about Christmas. Namely, who is Jesus Why was he born? What does this have to do with me? And if it's true, then what should I do? So we'll ask those four questions of the song and of the scriptures that it points us to. We'll say, who is Jesus? Why was he born? What does this have to do with me? And if it is true, then what should I do? And um, Charles Wesley packed more theology and scripture references into Hark the Herald than Clark Griswold put lights on his house, okay? It is loaded. There's a reason that the Peanuts gang sings Hark the Herald Angels Sing at the end of Charlie Brown's um, Christmas after Linus explains what Christmas is really all about. So we've got a lot to wade through today. And I, I want to actually start in the second verse of the song to answer the first of those questions as we work our way back around to the most famous verse, the first verse at the end. So, question number one, who is Jesus? Now, when you hear Hark the Herald Angels on the radio, many secular artists, even though they do a fabulous job with the song, they typically skip uh, the other verses and only sing the first verse. You don't usually hear verse two or three. And I understand why. Because the song becomes so explicitly Jesus-honoring and gospel-centered as it goes along. So, who is Jesus? He is Christ, by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Or as the scripture says, he's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn or preeminent one of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And as John's gospel begins, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is who Jesus is, the everlasting Lord, the Son of God, eternally loved by the Father and worthy of adoration by all creation. And it gets crazy when we sing that, behold, he comes to us late in time. Behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Now this does not mean that Jesus was late to his own party. But it just means that there was a lot that had happened leading up to and preparing the way for his arrival. You already heard Daniel read from Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He came right on schedule in the fullness of time. And he was veiled in flesh, the Godhead. See, hail, incarnate deity. What does this mean? It means that the person of Jesus Christ shows us because he is God, who God really is and what God really is like. Hebrews chapter one, long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, late in time, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, the son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So much so that Jesus could say in John's gospel, whoever has seen me has seen the father. Jesus was deity incarnated, which is, comes from the Latin incarne, enfleshed, God in skin, and not just as a disguise, but as a true human. He was pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Colossians 1, for in him, the person of Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was God with us. And this this really matters to the Christian faith. This is not a secondary thing. Uh, In the earlier days of the Christian church around the fourth century, there was a bishop named Arius who stirred up a debate amongst church leaders about the exact nature of Jesus. Uh, Arius questioned whether Jesus shared the same nature as God the Father, always existing alongside him. And he contended that maybe Jesus came on the scene scene later in some way, uh, as perhaps the first created being. And one tradition has it that this debate held in the city of Nicaea uh, became so heated that St. Nicholas, yes, the St. Nick, the historical figure that morphed into the legendary Santa, actually slapped Arius in the face for his teaching that Jesus was just a created being and not the eternal son of God. All right, you just got Chris Kringled, son. You better watch out. Santa Claus is going to town on heretics. Um, now, I'm not necessarily advocating for that type of Christmas punch, but 
What would have gotten jolly old Saint Nick so riled up? Why does it even matter that Jesus is the everlasting Lord and that it was none other than the eternal Son of God who was himself God who came to dwell with us? Well, it matters greatly because it means that God did not send some third party or hired gun to do his dirty work. It means that God himself came for us. God, the eternally loving Father, sent God, the eternal beloved Son, to be born, to dwell with us, to bleed and die for us. God, he himself did this. So hark, listen to the cry of the angels. Glory to the newborn king. Second question, third verse of the song. Why was he born? That's who Jesus is. Why was he born? This is what the third verse of the carol is all about. If you happen to hear the second verse on the radio, which sometimes you do, you probably won't hear the third. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Now here Charles Wesley draws from biblical imagery which likens Jesus coming to earth to the rising of the sun upon a dark and weary world. And in the introduction to the Christmas narrative in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, it foretells of John the Baptist that he will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And this echoes the ancient promise of the Hebrew scriptures that the Messiah would come to bring healing and joy to all who fear him. See if you can hear where Charles Wesley got his lyrics from. Malachi chapter four. For you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Mild he lays his glory by. And this is not talking about mild type of Taco Bell sauce here. Mild means humbly, humbly. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is why he came. And then Wesley, he pins what I think are some of the most amazing turns of phrases about why Jesus was born. Look at them. Mild he lays his glory by. Why? Born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. What does all this mean? The Bible spells it out for us in several places. Hebrews chapter two. Since therefore the children, i.e. humans, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, flesh, blood, suffering, death, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those 
who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus says in John 11 to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And to Nicodemus, he says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, second birth, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what does all this mean? It means that Jesus, the everlasting Lord, laid aside his glory, was born to be like us so he could lay down his life so that you and I could have new life, second birth, people who can live with God again forever and ever. It means that death does not have to have the final word over you. This is why he was born. So hark, listen to the cry of the angels. Glory to the newborn king. Then third question, what does this have to do with me? Now, if you don't hear verses two or three on the radio, you won't ever hear verse four, ever. I mean, like even in church ever, except for here, I guess. Um, And if you got confused at any point singing the song, it was probably this part, right? Bruise in us the serpent's head, Adam's likeness now if face, stamp thine image in its place, second Adam from above. Okay, what in the world, right? Well, let's stop and think about it. Come desire of nations come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Uh, This is straight out of Genesis chapter three. If you know the story, then the first, you know the first man and woman chose to believe the lies of the evil serpent, to distrust God and then to rebel against him. And yet in the aftermath of their sin and shame, God comes and promises that a seed, an offspring of the woman will come and crush Satan and his schemes. He says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her, your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise or crush your head and you shall strike or bruise his heel. And so this line in the song, rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. It's an invitation for you to open your heart to the one who by his death can cure you of your innate distrust of God, forgive you of your sins and release you from the grip of evil. The work of Christ is meant to change you, to change you on the inside. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. You see, we all share a nature with the first man, Adam. We share a self-bent, hell-bent nature with a built-in bias against God. And we all got that from Adam. But Jesus is like a kind of new Adam, another Adam, a second Adam, a way better Adam. He's a new kind of man that will have a new kind of lineage. 1 Corinthians 15 says, as was the man of dust, i.e. Adam, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, 
Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus, like father, like son. What does this mean? We were all born in Adam's likeness with his self-bent nature, but we were originally intended and designed to bear God's likeness. The Bible says it's in his image that we were created. And so the work of Jesus is intended to restore, to reinstate us, to live in the loving image of our heavenly father. And this is why the New Testament picks up on this language when it gives commands to Christians to like live decent lives. It says, don't lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old nature, the old self with its practices, you've put on a new nature, a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, how? After the image of its creator. That's who we're supposed to look like. Or Ephesians 4, it says like stop stealing and stop lying and put on a new nature created, how's it look? After the likeness of God in his image, in true righteousness and holiness. So if face means to erase, to wipe away the sinful, selfish part of me and make me new, have you asked Jesus to do that? Have you invited him, come, desire of nations, come, fix in me thy humble home? You see, this verse is a prayer for help because Christianity is not a self-cleanup job. Uh, Christianity says that your self-absorption runs far deeper than that, down to your very nature. And so you need outside help, a total transformation. Professor uh, Michael Reeves, who's written a little book called Rejoicing in Christ, the first chapter of that book would be an incredible read for you during Christmas time. But he says, individualism, like our American Western individualism, has mutilated our view of the Christian good news, turning it into a little message. An ad for the consumer. Come and add something to your life. Have some grace. But our plight, however, is not merely that we fail to be good enough and need a little forgiveness. If it were that simple, of course, we'd be tempted to try a bit harder and turn up the morality. Instead, our very identity is a problem. We were born of Adam. Our only hope is to be taken out of Adam's old humanity to be born again into a new humanity, to be a new creation. You see, we need more than just moral rehab. We need heart surgery, a whole new nature, which is not something you can do on yourself. This is why the great reformer Martin Luther said, the chief article and foundation of the gospel is that before you take Christ as an example, someone to try to be like or follow, you must first accept and recognize him as a gift, as a present that God has given you and that is your own. Because reconciliation with God, a new life, a new heart cannot be earned. It can only be received like a gift. And it's not just a gift that's for like little nice boys and girls. And we've totally butchered the meaning behind Christmas gifts. The whole point is that we're all on the naughty list. And yet God gave us his best. I mean, maybe you should just give a gift to someone this Christmas precisely because they don't deserve it. So what does this have to do with you? Well, you need to know that Christianity is not an add-on to your life for nice people. It's a whole new life. And it's a gift that Jesus gives to the undeserving, 
And as his good gift to you, Jesus intends to come right into the center of your life and rearrange your loves, your desires, your priorities, your very nature. Jesus is in the business of making new people. And if you want to be new, if you want to be born again into the person that God intended for you to be, you have to come to him with nothing in your hands, with no spiritual merit, and just say, here I am. Make me new. And he will. So hark, listen to the cry of the angels. Glory to the newborn king. Last question, first verse of the song. If it's true, then what do I do? If it's true, what do I do now? So if it's true that Jesus is the everlasting Lord, that he was born to save us from the deathly venom of our sin, and that any who open their lives up to him can slowly and surely be changed into new people, what do we do with all that information? Well, the very first verse of the song tells us, peace on earth and mercy mild, because God and sinners are reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic host, proclaim. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. So if it's true, then join the angelic host and proclaim that heaven has triumphed. That death and darkness and selfishness and sin do not win the day but that God and sinners can be reconciled. You see, Hark the Herald Angels Sings sing, gives an invitation to not just leave the heralding to angels, but to take our place alongside them in spreading the word that there is good news of great joy for all people. And this is the account you know so well in Luke chapter two. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then after the shepherds found the Christ child, it goes on to say that they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You see, first the angels declare the news, then the shepherds, and now us, the church. You see, God has entrusted the spreading of the good news of great joy for all people, not primarily to the angels, but to us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, all this wonderful news is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, 
we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So now we implore you, we, and we implore people everywhere on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So if you're a follower of Christ, will you take your place alongside the angels and proclaim the birth of Jesus? The message of reconciliation? How might you do this? Uh, I, I don't know exactly. But Christmas provides a unique opportunity for us to speak about Jesus. And it's worth reflecting on how you might go about doing this. Um, most importantly, begin that brainstorming process with prayer. Uh, last week, Larry kind of challenged and encouraged us that when we hear some of these Christmas carols that we've been talking about, to try to attach a prayer to them. Last week was O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And so when you hear that song this Christmas, we should pray, Come, Lord Jesus. Well, maybe this Christmas, as you hear Hark the Herald Angels sing, you could simply pray, God, would you give me the chance and the courage to proclaim the message of Christ to someone this Christmas season? God, would you give me the chance and the courage to proclaim the message of Christ to someone, somehow, this Christmas season? Begin to pray that. And then begin to brainstorm. What, what is this going to look like for me? Maybe you just begin to ask uh, friends and neighbors, do you celebrate Christmas? Does Christmas mean anything to you? And then after you've listened well, share what it means to you and why you celebrate. Uh, or maybe you can ask if they have a favorite Christmas song. And then you can share your new favorite Christmas song. Obviously, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? Uh, maybe you could just send a small gift, you know, bake some cookies. That's a pretty cool thing to do these days. I'll take some, but you could just bring them to a neighbor and include a card that briefly shares the hope you have because of Christ coming for you and how it's changed you. Make the best use of your Christmas cards this year. Let's pray that God would give us a chance, each of us a chance and the courage to join with the proclamation of the angels that God and sinners, God and sinners can be reconciled. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks because through Christ, our Savior, you've shown us what you are like, that you are a reconciling God. And so we pray that during Christmas and all through the year, your people would truly display your image, your likeness, and your compassion to those around us. In all of our busyness and preparation for this season, help us to reflect on and to reflect to others the incredible truth that through Jesus, we can be reconciled to you. Would you grant us kindness, patience, compassion, generosity, and courage in all of our interactions and conversations so that people could see that you are making us new and that there is good news of great joy. Fill us with that joy today as we've seen your love for us on display. Through Christ we pray, amen.